Hello and welcome back to another Pod by the Fireside with me, Gregory Alexander-Sharp. You can call me Greg. At the time of recording this episode, I'm proud and delighted and a little bit nervous to be able to say that finally and irreversibly, we are live. (laughs) Episodes one, two and three hit the platforms earlier this week, right on schedule. And uh, actually, having said that, episode one made a break for it a bit early, Uh, but I'll forgive it. It was my first episode after all. Whatever the case, all those episodes are now out there and available on all the usual platforms. This week, which is week five, is also episode five of our summer series on the subject of werewolves. And it's drawing inexorably to a close this week. Uh, So it's a bit of a sad moment in a way, end of an era. Mm. If you haven't listened to the first four episodes, then by all means, do go back and listen to them first or in whatever order you want to whatever takes your fancy really, but not having done so doesn't preclude you from getting tremendous value and entertainment from sticking around right here and right now in episode number five. You can always pick the other ones up later. It's really up to you. That's the beauty of these things, really. So my partner for this episode is unsurprisingly friend of the show, the very learned Mr. Fenrir Thorvaldson himself, and I'm going a bit easy on credentializing him this week because that's really the point of the show. There's quite a bit of that to come. Um, and that brings me to the subject of this week's show, which I'm calling the new breed. And when I say the new breed, that's really Fen and me, basically, that we, we are the new breed. All right. <laughs> by, my, by my definition, at least. <laughs> Uh, So we've spent the past four episodes talking about everyone else's contribution to this genre uh, in quite a lot of detail. And we've made passing references to our own. And tonight we're going to set the record straight and we're going to interview each other, which is something I'm really looking forward to. And I imagine many of you are, too. So hi, Fen. How is it going? You ready for the Inquisition to come? I certainly am. At least I don't have to have notes to remember the dates for this one because I probably know that. Oh, Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. even, even though I've not looked at the pre-prepared questions that have been pre-prepared and sent to me, and I've been really good and not looked. Yeah, at there's quite a lot of self-control yeah. been uh, demonstrated today, folks, because we we have prepared our questions in advance. <laughs> we have swapped them, and we have both nobly refused to read each other's questions. And I promise you we've really not looked at them so we will be answering these questions in real time and hopefully not making it up as we go along but we'll be answering you know off the cuff and from the heart and you know that's what you guys deserve right yes and i'm a taurus rising i bet that's one of the yeah. <laughs> well i'll cross that one off the list i mean you've just answered it I'm sorry, I've ruined yeah ruin that one <laughs> for a lot of people oh. <sighs> okay For the final time in this summer series, Fen has joined me in my log cabin deep in the forest. The full moon is above us. We've got enough peanut M&Ms to sink a battleship. And we finally turn to our favourite subjects. Us. 
We're actually sat around a fireside outside the log cabin because it's summer and it's warm and balmy and somebody's cast a spell in the clearing that the log cabin's in and the werewolves can't get to us, so we're safe. So we've got marshmallows, we've got peanut M&Ms and we've got our own work to talk about. So as I said, we're essentially going to interview each other about that work tonight. I know it's something a lot of you have been looking forward to. As a reminder, Fenn is published many times over and about to be published again. And he's also the brains and the voice behind Werewolf, the podcast. Whilst I've written two novels which feature werewolves as the main characters, the first, Il Lupo, was published in January of this year, and the second, Kill and Cure, is out soon. And who knows, it might already be out. Depends when you're listening to this podcast. (laughs) So I happen to know that the number seven always grabs Fen's attention whenever it crops up. And this is the seventh time in this series that I've invoked. Yeah, it's not. I've just made that up. Uh, This, however. I I was convinced. I was convinced. (laughs) That would have been good. Actually, I ought to go back over the previous four episodes and see how many times it's come up. I'm almost convinced it is for the seventh time. So I've prepared seven searching questions. Let's get to it. So, Fen, I know all about you, but our listeners might not know much beyond this podcast. But before that came along, you were already a published author several times over. And would you mind walking our listeners through a bit of your bibliography prior to the podcast happening? Um, Prior to my uh, fiction novels, I wrote a a few non-fiction books. as uh, uh, I had a an injury in 2017, which um, sort of changed things for me. And part of that process was to learn a lot about myself. So I, I wrote a, a self-help book, which basically broke down all self-help books and all the, the help books that I'd read and basically put each book into a paragraph. Um, so I, I wrote that back in 2017 and released, released that back in 2017. Um, it did quite well, which I was really surprised. Um, uh, and then after that, uh, one of my one of my things that I've done is I've been an MMA coach for years and supported fighters of all different levels and of all different standards. So I wrote a book on the psychology of the mind behind fighting because I think if you if you can get in a cage and fight somebody uh you can achieve anything so it was like working on the the psychology of the athlete and how to bring that into your own life um and again that was a fun book and it sold amazingly in america and it sold nothing in the uk which was hilarious uh then i'd been a teacher for years and uh now i'm no longer a teacher what i wanted to do is just write a couple of books about what i'm what i've learned about teaching and one of them was uh, the brain development of a child and how it affects their behavior. And the other one was just about um, extending the more able because I did a lot of work on inclusion with um, with uh, pupils at schools. And then the final one was I did I do some ghostwriting as well. And I wrote a book for a lovely lady who then um, didn't want to spend the money on publishing it. So I published it myself under my name and it's about color therapy um uh it's not really my area of interest but it's an interesting book and it was it was a nice thing to write so those are the the previous books i've written um under my name um and then 
somehow I ended up publishing the fiction books. Very good indeed. So yeah. we'll get to the fiction books imminently. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned that you'd had an accident, I think, in 2017, and you and you refer to it in the book Werewolf Movies and, and TV, and that it's had a, clearly had a profound impact on the course of, you know, the story of your life, I guess, if you will, but ch- a big change in direction and all sorts of stuff being different for you um, and unforeseen. But it ultimately led you down a path to creating the podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about that transition and how it diverted you to finding a level of therapy, I guess, in the creative process? Um, well, I had a head injury at work in 2017. And what stemmed from that was um, a kind of change in personality, a change in certain things. I'd, I'd had quite a few concussions before in life, but never anything that had been so serious as that. Um, and from that stemmed, I still have acute migraine syndrome, which I, I tend to get a migraine every single day. And if, if you've never had a migraine and you don't know what a migraine's like, then God bless you. You're wonderful. If you know what a migraine's like, then you know, that's hell. Um, so I, I went through a period where I had to kind of get used to the fact that I was going to be in lots of pain all the time. And obviously that had a massive effect on my mental health and, and what, what I then did was work with psychiatrists and psychologists and um, mental health professionals. And part of what, part of what they were teach or trying to get me to do was to journal and look at my life and see how it would affect me and things and how I could accept that this might be for the rest of my life and everything. And the, the, the podcast came out from, the journaling that I was doing where I saw two sides to my personality and yeah, it, it, it allows, it allows me um, in a different way to sort of live a, a a different kind of life and, and share uh, how I feel and how I don't feel about the world and all those different kinds of things. It it was uh, an amazing time. I mean, the, the mental health fight is still ongoing because they're at the moment I'm doing acceptance therapy where I've, I've got to try and accept that these migraines are here for the rest of my life, but I'm, I'm not very good at um, cognitive behavior therapy and all these kind of things. Cause I'm a right miserable catastrophic catastrophic thinker. So what I tend to do is I tend to pick holes in it, which is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to work with the process. So yeah, I find, I find the podcast and the journaling through the podcast really, really helps. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. look, I think I speak on behalf of everybody who's listening when we wish you well. And if there is any degree of um recovery from the migraines gosh i hope that comes to you soon for sure well the great thing about the podcast is there's no there's no deadline except my own i can write when i'm able to write if that's at four o'clock in the morning then that's four o'clock in the morning if i'm always one story ahead so that if i can't get something out by the deadline then i've always got something that can go out Mm -hmm. um so for me it's kind of a perfect way of doing it and what I thought was just going to be a hobby seems to be a possible direction in in life with this with the podcast especially and, and the writing's the same I can I can write whenever it you know there's no, I, 
I tried to do other things, but I found that deadlines and being at places on time and stuff like that just got in the way. But this I can do whenever I want and it's all mine. And there's no editors telling me I can't use the words in fact, which is very important. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got a, a, a question coming up about, uh, about your, where you get your ideas from and a bit about the process as well. Uh, but mm. first of all, is the concept of the posit, right? So um, you've sort of alluded to it there when you mentioned a couple of facets of your personality that you'd recognised throughout, you know, this period of transition that's been been so uh, significant in your life. And I I have a feeling that the roots of the posit were, were in that comment. Could you just describe the posit, the interplay between the posit and the host, and and then maybe tell us a little bit about how that came into being. I think it's unique, by the way. I've not come across it in quite this way anywhere else. I I thought it was unique on, until I read the Golden Compass. But it's it's very it's my idea and sensibility of the posit and and theirs is very different. Um, I thought I'd found this unique premise um and i was absolutely heartbroken when i i read those but never mind that's but the 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 idea of the posit to me is that um, centuries ago there was a pack of wolves and a pack of humans and it was a really bad winter i try and link it with um, a big volcanic disruption that happened around the time and um they weren't doing very well so through what my what my partner finds hilarious magic and bullshit they combine and the wolves give up their souls and the humans take on the souls of the werewolves and the deal is that the the werewolf souls will live forever but they're not physical but the humans don't live forever and can't choose to keep the werewolf soul but the werewolf soul can move on if it wants or if the human dies it can move on so they come to some kind of deal it's drinking blood and ritual nastiness and all that crap if you read that uh, listen to that thing and then uh, the the whole idea behind the posit really was that um i read the chimp paradox um a really good self-help book and he talks about the beast that's at the back of your brain like he calls it the chimp mm. that you've got this animal that's the first yeah. the first point of all focus any senses that come into your head goes through this animal first and if it if it knows how to react it reacts straight away if it doesn't know how to react then it it reacts in three ways and we've talked about this before the three f's you know um so what I did was just take that idea of the animal just a little bit further. And, and instead of it leaving it as an animal kind of phase, I left it as a, it's a thinking contemplative thing that's, that's there as a, as a kind of support unit and it can help out and it can also not help out. And uh, when the two of them combine, it can become something that not very many things can cope with. So yeah, that, the, the idea of the posit, I mean, like in the Golden Compass, everyone in that kind of universe has an animal soul that lives with them. There's no transforming into that being or anything like that, but they share their lives with something else. So it's like, for me, it was like, you've always got your best friend um, with you and he's a very useful chap to have. So yeah, it was just having the beast that you can contain, I suppose. Although, yeah. although Fen tends to, my werewolf soul posit tends to control Will a lot more than Will tends to control Fen. 
Well, I suppose in some essences, Fenn is the senior partner in the relationship, given that he's been there in in adult wolf form since Will was a, a babe in arms, right? He was in his cot, wasn't he, when they first met? Yeah, he, he, the, the great thing about the story is that, that Fenn has been through history. So at the moment, I am... Uh, giving stuff away but like he's been through a viking phase so his second person was a viking that he linked with and at the moment i'm doing all my damnedest to study up on william marshall who was a, an 11th century knight um and i i'm gonna create so he's, he's been through lots of different people who've lived different lives so he's going to be with william marshall who's a very chivalrous devout religious person so it's going to be interesting to see the absolute opposite of a viking and the absolute opposite of will and how fen deals with that so it, again it's going to be interesting to put these characters in in different contexts so i i, I really enjoy that so we'll see how that goes <laughs> <laughs> i imagine it will be quite bloody <laughs> yeah he was a bit of a boy was william marshall he was a yeah he was a crazy 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 dude yeah crazy he, was still, dude. Still, he was still leading he was still leading the the charge into battle at the age of 70 so he's a great character to have for um my posits because they they stay the age of the wolf when it died in dog years so they stay at in my case it's 45 so william marshall will have stayed 45 until his 70s so yeah it's quite quite right too. yeah Lucky you, you know a, <laughs> you know a lot of these people from history were remarkably brave i was listening to a history podcast that i listened to the rest is history podcast in fact that i listened yeah. to and they were talking about the 100 years war and there was a a german chap who was um a prince or a something and he'd been a great knight in his time and uh he was there was this battle taking place where he was going to be on the losing side but he and he was quite old by this time and he said even though we're losing i need to get out there on that field and fight with my with my kinsmen put me on the horse and lead me into battle and his uh squire said to him but sir you've been blind for 10 years <laughs> <laughs> he didn't care off no, he went. No. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it didn't yeah. end well, but you know, that was, was kind of what happened. It was a different time to say the least, wasn't it? One of my um I can't remember, but there's a famous there's a famous battle where um Wellington is sat on his horse and one of his um commanders comes riding up next to him and Wellington turns around I can't remember, oh, I forgot his name, it's so but Wellington turns around and goes, Oh damn, sir, you've lost your leg, sir. And he turns around and he looks down and his leg's been shot off by a cannonball. And he goes, oh, yes, sir. I have, sir. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> That's so Monty Python. Right? Yeah, it's fully like, uh, yeah, it's like the knights in Monty Python. But like, I just can't imagine what these people kind of could do and went through. I mean, yeah. and it's it, fright, it frightens me a bit at the strength and capabilities of some humans. Yes. Yes, indeed. On the relationship between Will and Fenn, how would you describe that? Um, with with Fenn, what he's done is he's gone through all the different experiences with people. So his first person died, who was an amazing guy, died because of 
the woman he loved didn't love him. And then we have the Viking bit where he, the guy was not a lover, but he was a fighter and was into power and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to have William Marshall, who was a pious person. Then we're going to go into the, the 14th century with France and stuff like that. So he, he's trying to he's trying to find the right person that matches him. So he's taken on Will here, who he recognises being completely a sociopath, psychotic. And... In this case, like with William Marshall, William Marshall is the controlling person within that relationship. He never becomes a werewolf. He just has this character there that is, makes him extra strong, lets him live a bit longer. But with with Will, Fenn's got the reins and he's like, whoa, we, we need to just calm it back a little bit and not quite do that and stuff. So it's a, it, it is a bit of father and son relationship, but also we have the fact that Fenn really likes, really likes the the kind of freedom that will allows him in the fact that he can do anything and kind of get away with it and he's just a horrible horrible person but fen fen's an, uh, a real anti-villain in that he's as you've probably heard he's got something in for the human race really he thinks they're disgusting and he hates the natural he hates the factors that are affected by the natural world and he hates the way that they look at life and he the politics of the world and all that kind of stuff he's a bit like me really in that in that way but <laughs> yeah, then, where did you come up with the idea oh, no idea but then what i like about him is he just hates everything about it. it doesn't matter if it's capitalism doesn't matter if it's communism there is no answers the only answer is to get rid of the human race you know and it's like okay and wills wills thinks he's an artist and thinks that everything that he does is art and the more horrible it is the more artistic it is and fence kinds of goes well that's okay as long as we're you know causing absolute horror i mean my idea of fen is that he's a, a real latchiest he, he he wants to see the world burn just to watch it as the famous batman line goes you know he, he just wants to see the world just destroy itself and fall yeah. apart for no other reason than he just wants to see it fall apart you know and see what happens afterwards and he's in a lucky position because he's not going to die <laughs> yeah. right although uh of course we uh we do learn that there is a method, but we'll keep that to ourselves. Yes, we can't tell anybody about how to kill these werewolves. That's no, really it's, not, it's mm. not as simple as bashing it over mm. the head with a walking stick with a silver handle. Um, no, it's, it's a lot. Tell you that it's, much. It's a lot less complicated than everyone thinks. But don't tell Sally that. Yeah, no, whatever you do, not Sally of all yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, so, the ideas. Broadly speaking, there's a you you've come up with a whole bunch of different stuff. I mean, you started out, um, you know, with a weaponized werewolf. Uh, you've introduced different scenarios, as you've mentioned through the years, through sort of Viking piece. Um, where did these come from? What what was the inspiration for that? I, and I know there are a few different sources, but maybe you can talk us through that a little. Well, I. I... With with, with the, the thing, it's that for me, as you can tell by my nonfiction bits, everything's about psychology and philosophy and the idea of living a certain kind of life and all that kind of thing. But on top of that, I wanted to kind of point a, f- a finger at how unfair life is and, you know, 
life isn't good and life isn't wonderful and all that kind of thing and the there is no happy ending it doesn't end until it ends and then it then it's gone you know um so every episode what i try and do unless it's a, a, a series is i try and take it in a slightly different direction it's not it's not all about murdering killing and destruction and horror it's a lot of it is about just the interaction in, in situations and things. So every time, every time I write an episode, I try and do something slightly different. Where the inspiration comes from can be anywhere. It can be from someone I'm talking to who ends up being a character to um, reading, a, reading a book and getting an idea from a book, um, not ne- necessarily stealing the premise, uh, but yeah, it, it and it, a lot of it comes from my f- my feelings at the time. I, I noticed when the Ukrainian war kicked off, there was a kind of something that stemmed from that in in the anger at the situation. And then um, the last episode was I was so annoyed because um, a woman ran across the front of me and she had two canvas bags. And for some reason, the focus of the whole thing was the canvas bags and then that turned into two hippies living in london who were called smith hyphen mungbean and uh, lived on the the boho boho houseboat the pequod and and yeah just taking a, a snap it's a way of just taking a snipe at people really to be honest i'm just a horrible person <laughs> but you know, it's kind of like that the, the, where the ideas come from uh, is characters, moments in time, and anything that I'm kind of interested in. Uh, I love medieval Viking history. I I like that, and I I I had to take a shot of the vampires at some time because it's not a werewolf thing if it hasn't got a vampire arising somewhere in it, as we know. Um, and yeah, it, I don't know really where the ideas come from. And if anyone's got any ideas, please send them my way. I'm on episode 112, and it's getting scary. <laughs> Well, I'll just drop in. The vampires, uh, I think, were my favourite sort of tertiary characters. I just loved the characterisation. Just just indulge me. Tell everybody about how you painted that picture. I loved it. Um, they, they were all very, very Anne Rice, um, dressed in latex. They all had samurai swords because that's part of the gear that a, a vampire has now. Um, they were all incredibly beautiful and good looking in a very androgynous way. Um, and yeah, they were all very much up themselves and very, yeah, it was just apart from um, Colin, the accountant vampire, who was, oh, was it Derek? I can't remember. Oh, it's Colin. Yeah. Was it Derek? Uh, Derek, 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 the accountant. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, the, the accountant vampire who was trying his best, bless him, you know? So yeah, it was, uh, I, I, I just took, I just took, I took Underworld and I took all the most recent vampire ideas and just ripped the Michael out of them. To be honest, it just makes, just just makes me laugh how 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 everything is vampirish like that at the moment when it comes to action and adventure, yeah. not sparkly. Not sparkly. I couldn't do sparkly vampires. I just couldn't. I tried. I was going to put sparkly vampires in, and I just couldn't do it. I just really couldn't. Couldn't bring yourself to do it. No, I couldn't. If if he'd have laughed mirthlessly, I would have I would have cried. Sorry, Stephanie, but <laughs> laugh mirthlessly. If you say that more times, I'll cry. Oh dear. Okay. Listen, that's my favourite. 
character or, or set of characters other than Will and Fenn. But who are yours? My my favorite character is Fenn. Um, I just look he's I like his perception of the world. I don't particularly I'm not particularly fond of Will. Will is an obnoxious bastard. Um, he is so far up himself. He thinks the world is is absolute oyster, and he he's so self-aggrandizing and stuff. And uh, but I think he, he needs to be that so that Fen can work off him. And Fen doesn't really have a. If you listen to the episodes, it's all from Will's point of view, really. Um, but yeah, Fen Fen is the character because he's like the he's like the the puppet master behind the scene, holding the strings and sorting things out. I I, I really like Derek the Vampire. And I really loved Phil the Magnificent, um, the guy that could do seances. On and, the guy and... on stage in the Vampire yeah. Years. I yeah. loved him. Yeah. Yeah, he that, was great. That was one of my favourite things to do, was try and find as many superlatives for these people as I could. So he was Phil the Magnificent, Phil the Wonderful, Phil the Fantastic, Phil... The... And every time I mentioned Phil, I got to say a different superlative. Yeah. And um, what I liked about him, he was genuine. Yes, he turned out to be not a charlatan. <laughs> no, and it, it, it was the it was the surprise that that um, Will ended up like speaking to all the people he killed and how pleased he was that there were so many. <laughs> did you did you feel and thinking back to the question you asked me a few weeks ago about did I draw inspiration for uh, Agatha from Maliva from yeah. from uh, the Wolfman and I'd said no and then I thought about it and I was like well maybe did you feel any parallels between that scene and the sex cinema in American Werewolf in London with the dead yeah, people I, I I completely stole that premise okay because what I wanted to do was to show that Will unlike um David I wanted to show that Will was like pleased you know that, that all these people were crying and yeah. like he yeah. killed all these yeah. people he was doing a body count absolute reversal they, yeah yeah, well, Dave was like really feeling guilty and disgusted because we have one woman coming coming towards the fantastic Phil, describing and crying and telling him what an evil bastard he is, and Will's like, "Wow, this is amazing! How fun! <laughs> Did I really do that? That's brilliant!" I mean, David <laughs> Kessler is kind of destroyed by the experience, and yeah. and Will D Beast it, it makes his day. he goes back and sees phil again just so he can have another chat with him you know it's like this is brilliant i get to sort of see how many people i've killed and everything you know love that yeah i i completely stole that i have to admit but i i thought it was it'd be great from um the perspective of a like a sociopath way what a job i've done you know it's like going back and watching your local team and seeing how many goals it's got really isn't it yeah a lot, actually, in Will's yeah. case. <laughs> yeah, he got his score, and I, I think the thing is that he's quite disappointed because they're all they're all Fens kills from history, right? So it's not just his. So he's slightly disappointed that he, that he's not done more than he thought he'd done. Yeah, has to share the plaudits. Yeah, that's not good, is it? No, never, never <laughs> a good thing. Uh, so, no. if those are some of your favourite characters, what's your favourite sub series within the series? I like I I like the Hitchhiker series with the character Sally mm-hmm. um, because Will Will up to that point had been a non-understanding, horrible, horrific um, character. He killed his own wife, and he just didn't really care about all this kind of stuff. And then he met a, 
I wouldn't say that he fell in love with her, but he found a character that he could sympathise with and kind of had a little bit of empathy for, and it brought out a different side side to the character, which I've commensurately completely now ignored and thrown away. But, um, yeah, I, I quite like the way that he doesn't really know what to do because he wants to take care, and he has no idea why he wants to take care of this person. And he's just really, conf- he's like really conflicted and confused because it's the only time he's ever wanted to care or look after someone. And so it was quite interesting to to write about him and his confusion. Like, why, what, what, what do I see in this person? You know. And then he's he tries to kill her a few times and he tries to do horrible things to her, but he just can't make himself do it. And he's just weirded out by it. And it's the, I think that's how a sociopath would respond. He'd be like, I don't really know how to do this you know what what am i doing i shouldn't shouldn't have any empathy or care or even a bit of love for someone so yeah i like the hitchhiker series it's it is my favorite my my latest series is going to be one of my favorites as well with the nixies and stuff so yeah looking forward to any anything that you can put fishy fingers in the title is a winner for me (laughs) and uh, just for the audience's benefit you've had a fish finger sandwich this very evening have you not I did. Tartar sauce and fish finger sandwiches, food of the gods. So anybody who's an avid listener to the podcast, this week's episode, fishy fingers, fish (laughs) finger sandwich for dinner. I mean, the timing's perfect. I live the life. I live the life. So um, just turning our attention for a moment, if we may, to your process. Right. So how do you go about recording your pod do you have a million dollar sound studio in ealing do you do a series of 100 episodes at a time i mean you've alluded to this you said you always got one in the in a pipeline or one in the yeah. one in advance but how long does it take you to record how long does it take you to edit how did you did you have an experience of doing any of this stuff before you tried it out for the first time i mean what kind of happened um when I started, it was all trial and error, and I must admit the first few podcasts were terrible. Um, but what I did was I re-recorded everything and started again, got decent equipment. Um, I had I had a Mac, and I've got a. I went on eBay and, and bought a really cheap microphone that didn't work very well, and then I went on and got a very good microphone, and that made a huge difference. I live out in the middle of nowhere in Scotland, because often people will ask me, what's that soundtrack in the background, all the birds and stuff? And I go, that's my, that's my garden. Um, and I just record in the in the summer house in between the cat, having a pee in the, in the corner on the in the litter tray and the dogs scrambling around. I, I do get quite angry at them at times because they do try and get involved. Um, I have, I always have one episode in the bank just in case I can't. I try to publish at 11 o'clock on Tuesday nights and sometimes... It can be a bit of a push for writing. It just happens when it happens um, and when I can, basically. Um, and yeah, I, I, I sometimes I can sit down and nine hours will pass. You're probably the same. Sometimes you sit down and nine hours pass and sometimes you sit down and you stare at a screen. You've been writing, but you've wrote the. <laughs> so it, it all depends. But yeah, it really freaks me out about this business is how cheap it is to do it costs me literally nothing but it can have a huge effect so yeah yeah yeah, that's basically the process yeah 
and editing it depends on the on the, on the um episode and how much effort i want to put in basically if i want to put sound effects in and all that kind of stuff it takes a long time but sometimes with deadlines and stuff i don't put all the sound effects in and stuff so there was an episode a few weeks back where half of the episode has wonderful sound effects and then the other half has nothing <laughs> well, yeah. ran out of time <laughs> yes <laughs> some of your uh, viking series episodes had some fabulous sound effects actually yeah I, I stole them off vikings the series yeah youtube is a wonderful thing where you can just go and like record in the background so there's like um lots of scenes of battles and things so you can just have your microphone on recording while you're talking or whatever and in the background there's there's like fighting going on or there's um there's actually a viking longship being rowed by a, a bunch of uh, Viking rowers or whatever, and you just and free sound effects. I'll, I'll mention Pixabay. Pick, yes, I use Pixabay. Yeah, they're wonderful, absolutely brilliant, and everything's off license, so you you get them free and not copyrighted. So yeah, all that's really really good. The only thing I really struggle with is copyrighted music, but if it comes up as a copyright, I just tend to change it and put something different on mm. there. So yeah, and do you script every last word or do you? Uh, sort of map it out and broadly follow it and improvise any i write i write a complete script and what tends to happen is i tend to add an extra 10 minutes mm-hmm. as i'm doing it so i i it's very strange because the digressions and stuff that i go off on tend to have nothing to do with what i've written but then i have to catch myself or someone has to catch me and bring me back on topic again but yeah, and then I transcript it at the end and put the transcript up as well. So, uh, yeah. and it's the transcript that made its way into the first book, a werewolf story. the The book was written prior to the podcast, and um, I, I, I just wanted something to do as a hobby. And I had a friend, a couple of friends, who were doing podcasts, and it just sounded like a really cool way to get your stuff out there and i thought it'd be advertisement for the books what i didn't realize was that actually the podcast is doing far better than the books um so yeah that it's the book was really the original thing and then on, I, I just wrote i just wrote my podcasts from that using the first 30 chapters and um, and now the books basically are just the transcripts of mm-hmm. the of the podcast so if you buy my book which is coming out on the 7th of august uh um it is just the transcripts really of the other of the other episodes so if you go to buzzsprout you can get it for free i shouldn't say that should i I should be really (laughs) adding value you get freebies on this podcast folks freebies (laughs) all all the transcripts are already out there so why buy the book i don't know but never mind (laughs) people people like a book sometimes yeah some people like a book yeah. It's got a very pretty cover. It does. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, magic, amazing what AI generation can do. Isn't it? So in terms of, <laughs> in terms of other published works, you know, once, since you've started, uh, you did recently also publish your 365 days of werewolf movies. And I guess uh, that, that book served as a bit of research for episode three of this podcast uh, or at least some of the research you did for that books did you in good stead for this podcast. But why don't you 
tell the listeners what that book is and how that came about and what they can expect to find in that one? Well, that's that. It's um, it's very cheap because I'm basically made that book for notes for what I'm doing at the moment. I've I have a lot of spare time, so watching movies is kind of a, a hobby of mine. And I thought what I would do is I'd try and watch a year's worth of werewolf movies. It's taken me five took me five years to where to watch a, a year's worth of werewolf movies and then i just wrote basically i just wrote the plot line of every one of them as a set of notes for myself and then um i've got a friend who is really into werewolf movies and uh, i was talking about and he said can you send me a copy of that so i sent him a copy and then he said you should just publish this so i was like okay so it just ended up as it was a set of notes and it's end up ended up being published and basically it's just a plot line for 362 bits of werewolf media including the simpsons and a bit of indian bollywood mexican uh, uh, the the genre itself is amazing and i'm currently on werewolf film 384 because i went and looked at japanese manga which was so stupid of me um but yeah i don't know if i think what i'll do is i'll just make a second edition and just increase the the number of possibles in it i haven't reviewed any of the films in it because a lot of them you need to just go and watch yourself really to be honest and some of them that are actually written down because it's done in in years from 1913 up to 2023 um some of them I haven't seen. So there's three films there that I haven't seen because apparently they don't exist these days, but I'm hoping that someone will find them for me and pass them on. The first two yeah. in the book, I think, are both in that. Yeah. yeah. The, the first two, are, it's really, as I said in the in one of the podcasts, there's an IMDB rating for the first werewolf movie, but it doesn't actually exist. So those people that have seen it, well done because according to the world it doesn't exist there's a few pictures of behind the scenes and stuff but maybe those people are vampires <gasps> oh gosh i don't thought of that they might be 200 no. years old they could well be yeah they could be who knows I, I don't know i don't know i've got a a lot of people out there that believe that they are vampires and werewolves so maybe i should ask them well, I think the way to test it is to shove them off a tall building. And if they do a superhero landing, they're a vampire. <laughs> My next book, yeah. History of Hero Landing. <laughs> Listen, just for the record, don't shove anyone off tall buildings, people. Right? No. That would be a bad no. thing to do. Don't try that at yeah. home. Yes, yes. There's an episode going to come out about that. I've just decided. <laughs> <laughs> vampire test <laughs> so listen final final question on on this part of the podcast then um and thank you for everything so far uh, what's next for will and fen and what are, what are your plans for their future um i have no idea i'm talking behind the scenes to lots of different companies and people and lots of stuff um and they're very professional and they're very i and i don't really understand half of the words they say um so i i don't really know what's going to happen at, at the moment my thoughts are just to carry on as i am and just see how it goes because i'm 
I'm enjoying having complete control of the IP, to be honest. Um, as for Will and Fen, I have no idea. I'm doing a lot of research at the moment for the medieval period, but I'm not writing about it yet. Um, and every week is an adventure with these two because the episode that was out this week started off being something incredibly different than it ended up being. So I don't know what's happening. People say that to me, when's this going to happen? And I'm like, I don't know, just what it does, you know, but I, that's my writing process. Just see what happens. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, well, in the words of the Nixes, it's happening organically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Something, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Fen. I mean, we've uncovered all sorts of brilliant and interesting stuff there. And I can guarantee that your audience, if any of them are listening, and I hope many of them are, uh, will have really got a lot out of that. And, you know, they'll feel that that they've got a lot of value from from spending this half an hour uh, in the conversation with you. So thank you. I have to, I have to apologise to everyone who thinks that Will is real, by the way, because when I started this series off, I convinced the world that will was a real werewolf and if you go on spotify i'm actually in documentary part of the podcasts which is a bit weird but yeah so all to those people it's actually made up and i'm really sorry for all those people who believe that i'm a real werewolf and that goes out to the young lady who spoke to me today i don't have the magic powers to make you a werewolf i'm sorry okay right it's my turn to set you apart now. <laughs> it's, it's role reversal time. The hunter is become the hunted. Okay, right. Yeah, so. Right, well, I have to say, Greg, that, um, and this isn't blowing, uh, as, as we say in Manchester, this isn't blowing smoke up your ass. Um I really enjoyed your book and um, it takes a lot for me to say that I've enjoyed someone else's work because, you know, I am an envious soul at heart. So um, what I've done basically is I'm kind of going to ask you questions along the lines of, you know, what you were thinking when you wrote it, how it came about. and all <laughs> What were you thinking, man? <laughs> yeah. And I've got some, questions about the craft behind it as well because it was okay um i like to pick writers brains i don't get to do it very often so it's really nice when i get to actually speak to someone who knows what they're doing and um, my first question you're a pretty successful guy in the business world uh, I, I i can recognize that so what on oh, sorry what on earth made you want to write this book i mean you it's by no means like a, a a small thing to do to sit down and write thousands and thousands of words and i can't imagine that really you've got a lot of spare time to do it so <laughs> i was just like what what was what was the thing that actually made you go right i really need to get this out there yeah yeah oh th great question thank you yeah i'm busy i'm a busy person uh with work i've been a busy person with work since i was in my 20s i'm very fortunate and grateful for the career I've I've had and I still have, uh, and it doesn't furnish me with a whole big bunch of spare time or spare energy for that matter, outside of work. So in order to add something to my day, it has to be something I'm passionate about. Otherwise, there really just isn't time and space for it. So why did I want to write in the first instance? That really dates back to my childhood when I first started to get 
um, interested in things like the Incredible Hulk and things like um, Frankenstein's monster and werewolves, I wrote essays about them. The funny thing is that you couldn't get me to pick a pen up at school for love nor money, <laughs> right? But you bring me home and I could spend hours writing to myself about stuff that my teachers didn't care about. Right? Yeah. So that that was something I did as as a hobby almost as a as a small boy. And I never showed this stuff to anybody else ever. Mm-hmm. Not even my mum. Right. And um and then many, many, many years later, um, I went through a very difficult period in my life in the 1990s with grief. I lost my brother when he was 25 and I was 22. Uh, and then four years later, lost my mum too after a sort of 10-year uh, battle with breast cancer. And I suffered quite badly with depression and anxiety. I had panic attacks. Uh, I wound up becoming agoraphobic and um, it affected my career. It affected my relationships with um, girlfriends and and even friends and family. And I, I had went through a pretty dark time and I came out the other side of it eventually. And mm-hmm. when I started to get the right support and the right advice and things like that and, you know, not be drinking quite so much and things like that, um, and I felt that I wanted to write something about the ex- about at least a feature of the experience that I'd had during that time. I had an urge for catharsis, yeah, to put it in writing somehow, and I didn't know how to. So I was going to write a story set in West London in the 1990s about somebody who gets mixed up in a gang of wild cats and. Yeah. It winds up destroying him, and um, this guy would make it out alive, but one of his friends would die. And this was the story I, I started to write, and I wrote nothing, 10 pages, right? I was so busy with work, and uh, I had all sorts of other stuff going on, so I didn't write that book. 2006 now, my dad passed away. 2007, sorry, my dad passed away. Right. And... Um, and my wife Dawn and I went um, later that year for a break to Italy. I needed a break. I needed to get away. I was starting to struggle again a little bit and I felt like I just needed to get away for a bit. So we flew to Rome and we walked the streets kind of gawping at the architecture. And then we hired a car and we drove from Rome to the Amalfi Coast. Yeah. Which may start to sound familiar. In fact, we hit that part of the oh, coast. I feel, like I feel like I've been there, even though I've not yet. <laughs> right. So, so we hit that part of the coast in a town called Vietri Silmari, which those of you who have read the book will will know um, that pops up. Yeah. Um, and we tracked along the coast and we wound up going to Pompeii and spent a day in Pompeii uh, and then spent an, an evening uh, in a pretty rough corner in Naples before flying home. Mm. And I said to Dawn, I, I'd been reading kind of... Um, a, a series of books by Glyn Illiff around uh, the Trojan War and the Odyssey right. at the time. Uh, so I was kind of into ancient stuff, and I said to Dawn, "I said, look, I'm I'm going to write that story, but I'm going to I'm going to do it about this part of the world." Yeah. And she said, "Well, why don't you like write about something you know about?" 
Mm. And I said, and she said, what do you know about? You can't write an adventure about a golfer. <laughs> Nobody's going to read that. What can you write about? Oh, and I said, oh, be a <laughs> what it might be. It might be if it was Tiger Woods. Oh, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, and I said, well, where, uh, werewolves. I know about werewolves. Yeah. I said, well, why don't you do that then? And basically that's where yeah. it started. And again, I got so busy, I didn't have time for it. And yeah. it was actually when the pandemic came along that I, the three hours a day that I was commuting into and out of the city um, yeah. became my own time to do with as I wished. And I could either spend it in bed or I could spend it doing more work um, or I could find something else to do with it. So I, I wound up reading audio, listening to audio books. Yeah. Dawn recommended the Harry Potter series to me. I listened yeah. to them. I was blown away by them. And I said, yeah. do you know what? Yeah. I'm going to write that damn book. Does, does the, does the writing actually like, is it a hobby? I mean, like, what I mean by that, is it something that relaxes you? Is it something that you look forward to or does it feel like a job? Like, it feels nothing like a job. Right. Um, that, that's, that's the difficulty I would have had if, if you feel it was a job on top of your job, that would have made it difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, it would, it would be good if it paid like a job, uh, <laughs> that would be handy, you know, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a job. It feels it's something that I'm drawn to do. Right. right. I, I just wondered if it's like a relaxing side of, of your life. I mean, everyone says if you can make your hobby, your job, it's the, the most perfect situation, but I know a lot of writers who just enjoy the experience of wandering off into their own little world for a while. I, I, that's what I particularly like about it. And just, I just wondered on top of your workload, does it feel like extra workload or is it just something that you enjoy intrinsically doing? I get a buzz out of it. Yeah. Right. I actually get a th kind of a thrill out of it. It's almost like you have a challenge that's set before you. Yeah. Right. Some people will get a buzz out of doing a crossword, right? They've nailed it. They've figured it out. Some people do the Sudoku. Yeah. I write a chapter in a book and I, and I stand up from behind my desk and I punch the air and I go, I've got it. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I figured I, it I, out. No, I figured it out. I think one, one of the things that I find when I speak to my friends is they'll say, what do you do? Or you'll speak to someone new and then what do you do? I go, I write stories. <laughs> and then, and then they're like, it's not a real, it's not a real thing or something like that. And then you go, how much did you enjoy writing stories as a kid? Right. And they always go, yeah, I really, uh, why don't you do it now? And you obviously as a child really enjoyed it and it allowed you to get out of your, I wasn't, I was going to say get out of your mind, but that was a different <laughs> era, <laughs> different era in your life. Um, yeah. But like, yeah. And I, I just don't think people realize that how wonderful it is to just let your mind go into this world. So I, I just wondered if it was a relaxing thing for you, or if it was a stressful thing for you. It It, it is a deeply relaxing thing for me, um, but it's also an energizing thing. That's good. Uh, and I can, I can write early doors in the morning. Yeah. You know, I can write before work. Right. Um, I can come into my office at home really quite early in the morning and do, do an, just do an hour, right? Yeah. And be disciplined about when I stop because I do have responsibilities that, that take precedence. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and I'm very serious about that. Yeah. Um, so I never let the two things overlap. I should go on the record and say that. But you know, I can come in here early doors and do and do an hour's writing, and the words flow. Day, it's like having a cup of coffee. Yeah, I mean, some people go for a jog before. I used to go to the gym before work, right? And yeah. I used to do ninety minutes in the gym three mornings a week before work, and I come out of there bouncing and yeah. absolutely buzzing, and I smash into my day at work at one hundred miles an hour, and I get the same sort of feeling of being energized yeah. from writing. 
but you're like me now, you're old. Yeah, my, <laughs> my gym is actually a keyboard. <laughs> right, well, I, I was really interested in that. Um, the next one is a difficult one, but um, because I often ask this question of authors, but they kind of don't know most of the time. Who kind of inspired your writing style? And was there an inspiration or did you just like kind of work it out on your own? Well, I think I do know the answer to this one. Oof, well, because most authors go, no, it's all mine. I've I've never read another book in my life, and I've never done <laughs> your okay, so sorry. <laughs> so I've I've gone on record, I think, as saying that Anne Rice and the early vampire chronicles were quite influential on on me, and and actually the descriptive style she had uh, that definitely rubbed off on me. Um, and there's, I feel as though some of the feedback I've had certainly about Il Lupo and about the descriptions of, of some of the, the scenes there, um, not that it's the same or, or comparable to what Anne Rice did, but you get a feeling that, it, that the setting is important, right? In order to feel what the characters are going to feel, you've got to find yourself walking in their shoes. And in order to do that, you've got to be on the same streets. Yeah. And I, uh, that somehow works for me i was definitely shaped by that um you, you, before you write about somewhere do you have to have actually been there no no because you, you can just do the research yeah so with il lupo i've yes i've been i've been there i've been yeah. to everywhere uh, in that in that book essentially so the samsara um, club does it exist or not uh the samsara club is in the second book that's what, oh, sorry yeah. <laughs> That. but i can i can i can answer that for you uh, they there is a there used to be a club years ago in um brixton right. called the fridge right and every so often this is back in the sort of hardcore house music type era in the good late old 90s good old days. back in the good old days and uh, every so often i think it was a friday night uh once a month they used to do a night called escape from samsara all right and that's where i got it from brilliant Wonderful. Well, I, I won't divulge any more information for the next novel. Uh, sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, carrying on with that theme, um, because when I when I read your book, I was I wasn't I was I, I was more along the ideas of like, uh, have you read any Marilyn Robinson? No, I haven't. Uh, she wrote like the, the Gilead and stuff and her story arc in most of her books is very much like your story arc of this kind of emergence of, um, I, I hope you don't say this wrong in any way, but like, I, I, I see your structure of this book is like a romantic fiction. You have you, this group of friends coming together. It's not romantic, but you have this group of friends coming together who obviously care for each other deeply. And they work together to get to this end point, going through the, the dip and the hardship and stuff. And like, I just want, because Anne Rice is the same. She's an emergence kind mm -hmm. of story arc uh, writer. But yeah, I, I, as I was reading your book, I was like, who does this remind me of? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, all oh, right, okay. And I, my, my first thought was her. So I, I just wondered if she'd had any influence on you, but it might be something worth checking out because it's the, the, the emergent story of the way that you write is so comparable. And she's a brilliant descriptive writer as well. Interesting. And yeah. It's just, I'll look into I just, that. I just wondered if she had any kind of influence. Um, next question. Il Lupo 2.0. Um, yes. So Il Lupo was 
something you had in your head yeah um is this something that you're building that's new this is this a new story or is this still a something that was in the back of your mind that had to come out i'm gonna say a little of both right little of both um it it really is an extension of the story from il lupo right and it it sort of extends that story arc a little further you could and i've pondered this recently while i've been editing 2.0 um you could slap these two books together and bind them up and call them an epic right it you really could 2.0 starts a week after the first one finishes or thereabouts for those listening authors don't do that (laughs) (laughs) nobody will buy it no (laughs) um but you know it really it really does sort of roll from one one book although there's a distinct end to the first book there absolutely is a distinct end and a distinct beginning to the second one it's a, a clear break point um it's an extension so i had an idea where i was taking it long before i wrote it yeah but then when i got in and started to write it of course it it evolved significantly um and it sort of grew legs as they say on on top of that with with ilupo one i can hopefully that's the correct way to say or just ilupo did did the thing in your brain did that get written on the page you know, like it did, or was it something different by the time you'd kind of finished the book? Gosh, that's a tough question. Because you had the, you had the story there, obviously. You had an yeah. idea of how you were going to encapsulate what you were thinking and the idea of what you were going to write. I just wondered if it actually turned out, was the story what was in your head or did it turn out slightly different? Because I, I, I can see distinct parts to the book which could have gone in so many different directions. So I'm like, oh, but it could have gone off down, you know, with the the Italian family, we could have gone down this mm. path. And when he when he meets, I, I won't go into, I don't want to spoil anything. So when he meets a certain person who is related to him, the the wolfy person, I'm like, God, that could be a brilliant way to go down that line, and that could be. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, it did it was it? Did you stick to a strict thing that was that that particular character you're referring to was not in my head. Right. Okay. He was part of the evolution of the story. So, so yeah. you've 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 picked a really good example there because he he did come up during the yeah. process of writing it. Because I, I, I was like, there's a brilliant, there's a brilliant book just there. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is, and I've I've um, strongly considered doing a prequel around the backstory of Telemaco Russo. Um, yeah, yeah, because I I. I that, I'm, I'm going to ask a question about him in a minute, but I just, I just think that there is so much backfill to be done. Do you know what I mean? We don't really yeah. get to see the whole of the character, you know. Yeah, and I wanted him to be quite mysterious. He's well, this it, dark, mysterious well, guy. Well, the next yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll leave that character there. Well, um, well, let me let me just say this about the the story itself, right? For those of you that have read it it starts at a point that is actually midway through the story. It starts off in a, um, a session with a psychiatrist, which occurs midway through the story arc. So you have that meeting and then you kind of jump back to the events that led up to that meeting. And then you sort of leapfrog over it and then you get into the second part of the book. That was not in my head to do that. Right. That happened 
after I'd started writing it. I had this thought that it made sense to me somehow that I would I would get everyone tuned into the fact that there's all sorts of stuff going on here. Yeah. And then I would rewind back to when everything appeared to be as normal as normal might be at the start of that story. Uh, yeah. And then how did it, what event led to the next event, to the next event and the next. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if these things come by feeling or not, but sometimes they just seem to feel right, don't they? Yeah. 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 Um, getting back to, is it telling, I can, the things with reading names is I can't ever, I'll, I'll ask a person a question about this character and they go, that's not how you say it. Yeah. Well, I, I pronounce it Telemaco. I hope I can ask you about the key characters in your book because Telemaco, because I can say his name now. Yeah. Um, like the thing, the thing that got me about Telemaco was I couldn't work out if he was a good guy or if he was a bad guy. And maybe that's what you were going for. Cause I couldn't dislike him, even though I really should have disliked him. Cause he just seemed to be trying to survive. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of like, should I hate someone for just trying to live? You know, it's, uh, and I just wondered what you think he is if, or if that's even a thing, or maybe that'll come out in the next book that I haven't partially read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Telemaco is, is damaged goods, right? Um, he's a victim. Yeah. Uh, in amongst all of this in 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 this story he he doesn't have the, quite the joie de vivre that will might have um you know on, on being bestowed with these gifts he he's definitely a, a victim of the curse however over the years that he's had to live with it he's had to accept the fact that if he is to survive then he has to um live a certain life and live in a certain way and it's numbed him somewhat to the reality of of what he's become but that's not to say that he isn't still human yeah because I, I i don't i don't get sense of him being an evil bad character you know no. he's kind of like all right he's a bit mischievous and he's a bit mixed up and all right killing people is probably never a good thing really yeah um I don't, I couldn't but he's him. never killed anyone himself, right. right? Yeah, not with his own hands, not as a human being. No, I, but I suppose it's like you have to rationalise the animal side of yourself, knowing that that's happening, don't you? I don't, I don't know. I, I just really wondered because I had so many. Like, I'd read a bit about him, and I was like, "What a bastard!" And then I'd read another bit, and I go, "Oh well." You know. Oh yeah. yeah, and yeah, that that was kind of deliberate. I wanted, I wanted there to be things about him that I loathed and abhorred. Yeah, but I also wanted to feel some sort of tug of sympathy. I also, I also wanted him to be like cool. Yeah, and he kind of is, right? I, I, I think, I think he started off in my head as this cool kind of narcissistic character, and by the end of it, I just felt really sorry for him. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, you've had to put with so much shit through your life, you know, even though you are a, a ripped muscle god and every woman. Yeah. Even, even though you've got a dead caterpillar above your eyes um, yes. yeah I, I just wondered what kind of um, character he was but obviously maybe uh, that was the idea was to hide him underneath that well it's an interesting bit of feedback I got um, from uh, a Goodreads reviewer uh, who, uh, who I was exchanging messages with after she'd read the book and um, she said that she felt like she ought to hate him when she first encountered him. I feel like I ought to hate this character. And then she's well, like, I'm, I don't quite hate him yet. And I don't quite hate him yet. And has he, has he written this properly? Cause I, 
kind of like him, I think. Yeah. And, that, oh, I feel sorry for him. That's that's, and, that's the sense that I got out of it. He, 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 you portrayed him initially as this being this narcissistic uh, bag of poo, but actually yeah. he's not. He's just, no. just a guy. He's just a general guy who's trying to get through the life and the, wo- the world as he is. He's not, he's not particularly nasty to the family he meets. He's not, you know, he's just, he's just a, a bit of a, it's a bit of a strange character. And I won't say what happened in the book, but I was, I was fairly disappointed in, in, in not getting to know him any, any better. At, yeah. By the yeah. end of it. Let's say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> yes, as I say, I've got, um, I've got a, uh, I've got a hunch that there might be at least one and possibly more prequels to a Luther, which fe- heavily feature uh, Telemaco. If uh, out of, you you fill out the other characters so well. Hmm. I mean, even Connie is filled out so well for, it, for for the part that she plays. But then with Telemaco, I'm like, I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we've, you've mentioned it before, but like there's an underlying tone of, men, of mental health Yes. In, the, in the book because charlie doesn't really know what's going on does he no and it what what i liked about it was that the realization of the beast inside him seems to help him in a way i just wondered if that was what well, you've obviously always spoken about stuff in your past but i just wondered yeah. if that was part of the reason for like writing the book the, the, the as you say the they can't say it. They can't say it. thing out of your system. That's it. Yeah, that thing. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, absolutely. Right. So two of the big themes are of grief and um, depression and anxiety. Right. I'm wrapping depression and anxiety up together. Charlie suffers from anxiety and, and sort of depression. And um, Frobisher has lost his father and he suffers suffers with grief he self-medicates with alcohol mm-hmm. and his decision making is extremely suspect right because his yeah. overconfidence his bravado and the alcohol doesn't lead to good decision making no and there's a, there's a kind of lesson there and with charlie the fact that he's got you know he's got asthma yeah he's got hay fever and he starts to suffer with incredibly debilitating and shocking panic attacks. And he's really feels like he's unraveling. And then he's somehow immediately perfected by the acquisition of a curse. And yeah. it's a bit like somebody who suffers with mental health, going out and getting blind drunk or taking drugs and thinking in that moment, do you know what? I feel all right right now. I'm going to do this again tomorrow night. Yeah. It's not all right. At some point, that curse is going to come back to bite you. And uh, there is an allegorical aspect to that around, around yeah. the, um, the curse. Cause like having, having spoken to you outside the podcast and stuff like that, I noticed that there's an element of Nick in you from your past. Yeah. And then I don't know if there's an element of Charlie in you necessarily, but maybe have they come out of uh, being part of you as characters. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, so I suffered with um, panic attacks and agoraphobia after after my brother Richie died, and um, you know, it really was utterly life changing and um, debilitating. And my social 
world which had been gigantic to that point shrunk to two or three people and I didn't see them yeah. very often for six months and uh, the journey back was was long and arduous and laced with the sorts of traps that people in their early 20s or mid 20s are often um, tempted with you know um, and it was no good yeah and my, my final part of this question you'll be glad to know I see Ernest as kind of a father figure and a guide that sat behind the scenes. I just wondered if you had someone that came into your life and did that for you. I didn't. Right. No, no I, I would have loved to have had an Ernest in my life, I right. think. Okay. Um, I didn't have that, that type of influence uh, at all. Uh, there was, I mean, my dad was a hugely educated and very intelligent human being. Um, but he wasn't really a very fatherly kind of a father. No. <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't have that kind of grown up mental guide. That's something you kind of wished for. And that's yeah. why you brought that character into there. So they would have that guidance. Yeah, I think he came from the void. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just it's just interesting because every time every time I read a story or an, an, a novel or something like that, what a lot of people don't realize is there's probably a lot more behind it than than you actually think mm. you know i okay I, some people like asimov wrote 500 nod books so how much can you get out of your own life like that but most people don't write more than five or six books in their in their lives yeah. but normally the story is about them so when i when i read a book it's like oh that's interesting i wonder where that's come from or what's that character do or why is that you know so I just wondered if you had a, a father figure and I, I don't know. I, I, I was like, um, I've had partners come into my life and kind of be there for the supportive role and stuff like that. So I just wondered really if it was, that was a kind of thing that underlied it. No, I have to say I'm a huge fan of Ernest Wainwright. Um, yeah. I, I, I love that character. I love so much about him. When we, um, when we did the, when we did the podcast together, hmm. I have to say, I, I didn't know you as well there. And I was very yeah. self-serving because when I read the book, Ernest just stood out to me. Right. And I was like, if I met Ernest in real life, I would actually be a bit in love with him. Because <laughs> it was just my idea of the most perfect English gentleman. And he, he, is, he seemed just like a little bit of something out of history. Yeah. And someone you could sit down and talk to and tell anything. And he'd be very, very nice about it, but he'd tell you he's, he's right. So like when you saying, when you were saying, let's collaborate, let's do this and whatever, I was like, right, okay. I have to work out somewhere that I can get earnest in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and there he is folks, episode 105, yeah. I think, wasn't it? Is yeah. Was I was like, I could take Nick and I could put Nick in it. Nah. I was like, oh, we could, I could meet him just outside the psych, the psychiatrist, and then, no, I want Ernest. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really, I'm really glad that we managed to get Ernest in the, in the, in the, uh, in the podcast. That was really good. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, in the future, maybe I, I, I have read some of Greg's book, and I have to thank him for what he's done for me in his book as well. That was. Uh, Page 60, just in future. Okay. <laughs> um, lastly, 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 because we've been on far too long, haven't we? Um, any, other, any other things apart from Il Lupo 2 in your head for the future works yes. that you can give us a clue about or is yes. it all under wraps? Yeah, there's one of them that's a little bit under wraps, but that's going to be the next one I write. It will be a 
break from this genre it will be a, a work of commercial fiction um right. it will be essentially a story of love lost and revenge so some classic themes um and it will be set in um broadly speaking modern day america sort of the 1970s in florida right. uh, i've got a premise i've got an outline of the story uh it, it's you're gonna laugh your socks off at parts of it but it's going to be a good gripping get him back the bastard type of story <laughs> oh, i like it i like it uh, so that's that one that and that i've actually started on that one yeah. um as well uh additionally i have a plan to write a novel about uh a, a more spiritual aspect of of me i suppose uh, right. of what lives inside me uh, I was listening to uh, a lecture about the Bhagavad Gita right. by uh, a chap called Davy G. If you yeah. if you go onto YouTube and put in David J I, all one word, David G. He's um, he's an incredible human being, and uh, he's got the most spellbinding voice I think I've ever heard. And I was listening to this talk he gave on the Bhagavad Gita. Um, which is essentially, you know, one of the, the the templates for understanding spirituality in the ancient world. Yeah. And I have a powerful desire to explore that. To explore that in a modern setting, mm. and and the premise is along the lines of um, a psychiatrist who works in some sort of facility where a patient gets put in front of him who claims to be God. Right. Okay. That and good. I'm going to take it from there, basically. Yeah. Wow. That's going to take some writing that. Yeah. That's uh, I'm setting myself a challenge there because yeah. I could really upset a lot of people and I could really get it wrong. But <laughs> I, if I, I get I, it right, I'll, I'll, um, I will love it if I get it right. I, to me, like, I think one of the things that I've kind of learned is as long as you're happy with it, you'll find your audience. If anything, with this podcast has told me that, you know, you've doesn't. It, there are people out there that have the same thoughts of yourself, and so you will you you will find your audience. But that's uh, I, I would I, I wouldn't be worried about that. I'd be worried just about the heavy nature of mm. that's going to really take a lot of head space and yep. organization, isn't it? It is. It is. I feel sort of drawn to it. Yeah. Um, well, the thing for me is if if you're not interested in what you're writing about, I mean, I've I've wrote I've wrote some, done some ghost writing for people, and sometimes the the thing that you're writing about, um, God bless whoever's listening to this, um, sometimes it doesn't it doesn't inspire you, but um, the things that do inspire you, I I find that I can lose hours in. So yeah, yeah. if it interests you, you should, I go to anyone out there if you've got a story to write, write it for God's sake, please put Absolutely. it out there. Yeah, it doesn't I, I, I was exchanging messages for somebody on, uh, I can't remember which social media platform it was, a couple of weeks back. And um, this chap said to me that he had always considered an interesting premise for a werewolf story would have been, and he listed out a couple of points that he had not seen yeah. written about and thought would be interesting. And I said, hey, look, you know, don't come on yeah. social media <laughs> giving away your best ideas because somebody, yeah. if you don't write that stuff, somebody else will. And it's yeah. your story. You should crack on. 
yeah, and just write probably... it. Don't worry about if you're any good at it or not. Write the damn thing. They say that everybody's got a good book inside them. Um, yeah. And I, I genuinely believe that, you know, and probably more than more than once if you're out there. And um, yeah. And of course, are you going to continue with the podcast? Well, yes, yeah, so I've got um, a small pipeline of interesting people to spend a bit of time with. Um, they won't be quite as interesting as yourself. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. Well, but I'll know. be saying I'll be saying something different when they're on on oh, the other of side of this microphone. Yeah. You know, um, I, I know how this celebrity world goes. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've got um, I think five authors uh, that I'm going to interview, and we'll be doing straight interviews about their work. I'm also going to spend some time with an old friend of mine who's um, a karate sensei. His name is Chris Brown, and he's a fourth dan, um, and he is a full-time karate instructor. And I'm going to spend a bit of time speaking with him about karate, which, as you know, is, is one of my lifelong yeah. passions. And I hope there's more that we can explore together as well, Feng, because I think, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we haven't got to. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 great thing, the great thing is to just get get out there and, and get it done. I, I've really enjoyed the, the five that we've done and God bless you. If you've listened to all five, well done. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, uh, I, I, as I said before, I'm not blowing smoke up Greg's ass that his book is genuinely good. So go and have a, definitely go have a, a read. Um, and, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say or not, but I'm almost, 200 odd pages into his second one yeah you can say <laughs> it you can say I, it i got it first ha oh, <laughs> in competition with his mother-in-law so um fen, fen is actually being asked to write a short forward for the second book yeah. um so th- that will hopefully uh mancunian it'll be just something like it's dead ace or it'll be hopefully it'll be it's dead ace and not it's rubbish you know <laughs> <laughs> it's very different uh writing than than the first one but it grabs you right from the start, which is really, really cool. Um, yeah, so I've really enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you keep it up because it's um, it's been fun. So this yes. log cabin, I hope it's getting B and B'd and ready for the next person. Well, it is. We're gonna get the you know we'll get the deep clean team in. Obviously, uh, I mean yeah, that goes without sorry saying. That. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't help it. yeah, cocking your leg up against the furniture. Oh, um, anyway, um, you know that does just about wrap it up. Folks, for the last time for now, Fen and I uh, have survived a night at the, a, a night at the log cabin. We've talked the night away. Actually, we almost have talked the night away tonight. We've uh, yeah. sorry about that, Gary. Sorry, folks. We've rabbited on a bit there, haven't we? The sun's up. Uh, it's safe for us to head for home. Next time out on Pod by the Fireside, we'll be starting what you might call business as usual mode. So it will be me interviewing some other people that you've possibly met before possibly not met before but they'll be new to this podcast um this series has been immense fun for me uh and for fen and i'm really grateful that you've taken the time to listen in if you've listened to just a little bit here and there i'm really grateful for that and if you have as fen says you know done the done the full five and a half hours or something it's going to be in total then you know hats off to you and i hope you've had some fun too and learned some stuff along the way remember links to our socials are in the description in the form of handy link trees so you get one link for me and one for fen 
And all you need to do is click on that and you get links from there to all our stuff and we can update that as new stuff becomes available and you just need to keep that one link forever and you've you've got everything we're ever going to do. Clever, huh? So, with that said, Fen, should we do the two Ronnies thing one last time? It is It is sort of already the thing, isn't it? It is the thing. And so, with that said, it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Wow. <laughs> <Not> right. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs>